Social justice means applying the law equally to all people. But in practice, that doesn't always happen. I'm John Gonzalez. I'm here at my law partner, Jack Derora. We practice law. We seek social justice. On this show, we reveal the conflict between the two. You know, for a while, it was just us in the office over a cup of coffee talking about the news of the day with social justice issues dominating our culture. Our focus became, how do we as lawyers make a difference? And now it's not just us. Today, we have Joe DeLoss, owner of Hot Chicken Takeover, and Evan Williams, president Franklin International. Jack, these are two highly successful companies who have found value in hiring ex-offenders. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable because if you read the news, you'll see that, you know, it, there's a tremendous barrier in getting employment. In fact, it was a few years back, I think the state of Ohio passed the ban, the block, I think it was called, eliminating that question on state employment forms. When you think of somebody who has a uh, criminal past, and we think about it as trial lawyers, uh, have you ever had litigation where you haven't been asked about your client? Uh, the question always is, have they ever committed a felony or crime involving dishonesty? Have you ever not been asked that question? Oh, well, I don't know if it comes up that routinely, but certainly it's come up because, as you know, that's free reign to try to impeach somebody, impeach somebody's credibility within certain limits. Sure. So uh, under the law, evidence is admissible if somebody's committed a felony to impeach their credibility or if they've committed a crime involving dishonesty. So if your client has that issue in the past, you have to deal with it at trial. And of course, lawyers salivate when we find out that the other side has a felony or a crime involving dishonesty, because we know we can use that to attack. So my question is, why isn't that important when we hire people for jobs? Um, so maybe we could start with Joe and, and talk about what your company does with people that have this past um, issue that makes getting employment difficult, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You know, when we talk about, um, I mean, the, the broader workforce development environment, the broader workforce environment right now is really ripe for this discussion as so many employers are, are struggling to find access to talent pools. And so uh, thankfully, we're well ahead of that. And um, both, you know, this business, Hot Chicken Takeover, is about eight years old. But um, prior to that, you know, I, at this point, I'm about 15 years deep in trying to provide meaningful work opportunities for people who have been up against adversity in their lives. And I, I think what I've come to understand is uh, a criminal record. Uh, we actually call an alternative resume in, in our, our environment. But that alternative resume is often a, a product of circumstance and, and really one of the many adverse symptoms of, of poverty in our communities. And so, you know, when you're looking at statistics, I think a few years ago, the, the Wall Street Journal reported, reported that one in three adult Americans have an arrest record. And so this isn't a, a small marginal group of people. This is America. Um, and so our business uh, has intentionally created work opportunities for people in that community. Um, it works. The majority of our workforce have an alternative resume, um, and and many others on our team 
have a lot of the other contributing variables, whether that's uh, bouts of addiction, bouts of homelessness, they're a survivor of human trafficking, you name it. A lot of these symptoms all bubble up and uh, have led to some volatility in somebody's life. I think the big question is, what led you to make that decision that you were going to be open to people with alternative resumes? That just didn't happen out of nowhere. Yeah, it's a really well-informed question. You know, my life had kind of two threads into it um, up to that point. One was a life really actively engaged in community service and volunteerism. I just, I had uh, a lot of privilege and resources in my life that I came to expect, you know, much later. Um, and, And similarly, I was always very entrepreneurial and was finding ways to make my own money since the, the fifth grade and had a great mentor in my life. When I had the privilege of going to college, I, I went to Capital University and was studying business and communication. And a mentor of mine um, in the business program actually said there's, there's a name for kind of the intersection of those two things you're passionate about called social enterprise or social entrepreneurship. And I became kind of a student of the discipline and, and committed myself uh, as a professional to finding my way into this work. And and ultimately what it boils down to is as I started to, to have the privilege of building relationships with people that had such a different experience in life at, than me on, on kind of a surface level, I realized we had so many similarities. And it was our circumstance, our resources, our, our households that was the only characteristic difference. But, yep. Well, we're... Let's drill down just a little further. Were people with alternative resumes just finding themselves at your place looking for employment, or did somebody tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, Joe, we got these folks over here. They got got a tough road to hoe. Can you lend a hand? Well, I I began kind of searching. I began searching for businesses across the country that were doing this work. There was not a lot happening in central Ohio at that point, so this would have been like early 2000s. And um, I had convinced a local large nonprofit organization, Lutheran Social Services, to bring me on board as uh, the director of social enterprise, which was a made-up title. Um, And uh, there weren't a lot of people playing in that space locally. And my charge was to create business opportunities and employment opportunities for people that the broader organization served. And so we we were operating uh, the homeless shelters in the community. And um, as I started to engage and create uh, workforce opportunities for that population, um, one, I immediately saw that our business was enriched um, through giving people an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, You did foster a lot of loyalty and engagement. And that engagement and loyalty was really uncharacteristic of entry-level employment, you know. And so I, I started to see an opportunity there. And, and beyond that, um, I also started to, to really flex my own muscle at building brands that people and consumers could engage with and, and really appreciated that experience. And so I, I just set down that path and um, enter Hot Chicken Takeover. I was, I was really stumbling my way through Um, work out there in the community. And I was consulting with a lot of social service agencies and ultimately knew I wanted to become an employer of my own again. 
and um, was just desperate for an idea and a fateful trip to Nashville, Tennessee, turned me on to hot chicken. And within a few weeks of that trip, I had a, a residential fryer and sitting in my kitchen. I Googled, <laughs> I Googled how to fry chicken. And, um, you know, eight years later, here we are. And seven, we've got seven restaurants. And in the next 12 months, we'll probably open another four or five. And so we're, we're off to the races. Evan, you um, are the president of uh, Franklin International. It's a, um, from what I can tell from the website, a large company um, and uh, has a lot of employees. How did your company get involved with people with uh, what we're going to call these alternative uh, resumes? Thanks for having me. Like, like Joe, I'm, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. Um, unlike Joe, uh, I came at this a little bit differently. I think I was, I was led into this by people around me. So uh, we've, we've been uh, involved with several organizations in central Ohio, um, Kindway being one, uh, The Refuge being another, Clean Turn Enterprises being a third. And uh, I think our experience with each of those um, organizations and the people that they've uh, brought to us uh, have, have really motivated us to, to look for more opportunities. Um, uh, part of uh, our experience has been that it's, it has been tough to find good people. I think, Joe, you talked about people who are engaged and loyal. Um, I would add uh, people who are grateful for the opportunity and excited about uh, about just having that opportunity, and, and we've seen that with uh, ex-offenders coming through Kindway in particular. Uh, we've seen that with um, uh, people being uh, rescued from human trafficking, um, generational poverty, um, addiction, incarceration. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, my uh, my journey has been more reactive and more led by other people uh, than uh, really having something inside like uh, like Joe's desire for social enterprise. You mentioned Kindway, and um, we also know that uh, Kindway has a, a program called Embark. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Maybe it you is, can tell yeah. us a little bit about what Embark is. So Embark is a is a faith-based program uh, that's taking place in um, several prisons in Ohio. Uh, Marion Correctional Institute, I think, was the first. The Ohio Reformatory for Women in Marysville was the second. And they are, they've recently added a third in Pickaway Correctional Institute. Uh, this is a, a program that engages um, uh, men and women in prison in a pretty intensive program. It, it pulls in volunteers from the community, navigators. I think, Jack, you you have experience as a navigator. I do. Yeah. yeah. In fact, one of my, the gen I've navigated for a while is one of your employees. Sam Webb, yeah. Um, and I, so that process is occurring while they're in prison and it continues afterwards. So the navigator helps um, those people uh, navigate that process of leaving prison um, and uh, finding homes, finding churches perhaps, finding uh, job opportunities, 
banks, all those things. So it, it's it's been uh, it's been great for Franklin. It's been great for the people that uh, have been served. Is that where your um, employees come from that are ex-offenders? Is it through Embark, or do you get people in other um, we, other ways? Well, we've we've tried many other ways, and we 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 would love to see other opportunities to hire ex-offenders. Our uh, our track record with other um, organizations doing that kind of work has not been nearly as good as it's been with Kindway and Embark. Uh, there's something about the, uh, the Embark program, whether it's uh, the faith, the centrality of faith in that program, or the, the fantastic volunteers or the staff. There's something different about Embark uh, and the, the people that come through there. Joe, I uh, think about some of my clients who are small business owners, and um, when we talk about the Embark program, I could see how they would have a comfort level that the people that are coming to work for them have been committed to a new way of life, uh, an opportunity, a second chance. Uh, now, the people that come to work for you, do they go through the similar program to use Embark, or are you just looking at resumes and not excluding people that put down or have told you that they have a felony on their record? We do cast a, a wide net and in, in particularly as a growing business and a geographically expanding business, we've found that that network has to, has to really be expansive. And so, you know, based on the location of each one of our restaurants, we're building relationships with local community partners that are tapping into the reentry population, as well as just those in our community that are at higher risk and would, would be um, benefited um, through kind of gainful supportive employment. But I, I think what Evan shared, and in particular in his remarks about Impark, um, are more broadly applicable to when we think about the community partners um, throughout central Ohio or, or any community for that matter. We're also up in Northeast Ohio. It's the organizations that are able to go deep and uh, with an individual that are, are making a, a pretty dramatic change in alongside of somebody. And, and so we think similarly as an employer, um, as a social justice-minded employer, we could just cast a wide net and create work opportunities for, you know, hundreds of people that our restaurant couldn't financially support because it feels charitably like the right thing to do or, or, or where the hearts of many of our leaders would. But the reality is, is um, we have to hire people that, that our business needs. And I, I believe that relationship really dignifies the power of work as well, that it's not sympathetic and it's not charitable. And, and I think we start tapping into re the real impact of a job. And also just this broader thesis that if, if you want to tackle generational poverty or the, the issues in our community have led to somebody getting a criminal record, those problems go back lifetimes. And so unfortunately, the way most social service agencies are funded is they are funded to impact, you know, Hispanic men aged 25 to 45 in these three zip codes. And that, that level of specification, I think, prevents real depth and change. And, and who are we to think that we can eradicate the 
conditions of generational poverty that are 60 years in the making or, or, or much longer in some cases in a six-week program. And so where, where there are great organizations like Embark, I think they are unfortunately um, too few. And so we do think of as our employment environment as the foundation to go deep with somebody, um, to uh, to be alongside of them as they really really build and develop their lives in a in a smart way. I want to go back, or I want to put myself in the shoes of an employer such as yourself, Evan. So we were talking earlier about Dave Ransom, who I don't think I've ever met, but was maybe one of the founders of Kindway and. He saddles up to you and says, hey, Evan, I got this great idea. I'd like you to hire ex-offenders. By the way, most of them have a violent past. Mm -hmm. So what does that sound like to you? What's your reaction? What are your thoughts? What are your trepidations when you hear that? Right. So, yeah, as I was telling you earlier, Jack, uh, Dave approached me, I think, in the summer of 2017. And... uh, he said, I'd like to come and talk to you about this. And I know Dave. Um, I, I would say that I didn't know him as well then as I do now, but I, I trusted him to a certain extent. Uh, as I said earlier, we were, we were looking for people. We were looking for pools of people, new pools of people, because it was a struggle. And so he came in and he brought some other people. I think maybe Miss Money came with him. And uh, for the sake of the people listening, this yeah. money is Chris Money, the executive director of Kindway. But she's only known as Miss Money. Yeah, right? yeah. she's Miss Money to everybody. She's money. Total boss, too. Total I'm boss. so inspired yeah. by her. Yeah, she's a lovely lady. Um, well, uh, they made a very persuasive case for, for us uh, taking a look. And we hired our first uh, Embark graduates in late 2019, or 2017, I'm sorry late 2017. And honestly, they've been some of our best employees. And and you now have 13 Embark fellows. Yeah. Men and women. Men and women at your company. And that's That's out of how many employees? Um, Well, we have a total of about 450 um, in central Ohio. We have approximately 175 uh, manufacturing, uh, materials, handling, and maintenance employees. So um, they represent a good percentage. We've hired a total over the years of 18 Embark graduates. Uh, I think uh, one of them started their own business with his wife. Mm-hmm. He was one of our first employees. Uh, so uh, he left for good reasons. You know, they're, they're pursuing a dream together. Uh, I think we've had uh, one other person leave, uh, well, one person leave um, who Joe knows, um, and we, the job that we had for him just wasn't suited to him all that well. And I would have loved to, to have kept him because he's a high-character guy, um, but our, our work rules prevented us from doing that. And I think we had some three leave for attendance reasons or something like that. But, but we've had wonderful success with uh, with those people. They are some of our best employees. Well, let's true. talk what it's like. Let's talk about your initial reaction yeah. about hiring a guy with a, a violent criminal record. Yeah, What's so, that like? So the first two, uh, I'm sorry, the, the first employee we hired from Embark uh, was a convicted murderer. 
and had spent 30 years in prison. And uh, I thought, I, I was pretty comfortable that his faith in Jesus Christ had changed his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that with all my heart. I, I, I heard from him. I saw him. I saw the impact that um, uh, Embark was having on people. And um, I had no reservation about hiring. However, by hiring him, he's now working with many other people. And when they got wind um, later on that this guy is a convicted murderer, um, they got very nervous. So, and it makes sense. It makes sense that they would get nervous. Um, We hired two other convicted murderers. And uh, so the nervousness grew a little bit until one day um, outside of one of our docks, uh, we had a truck driver get out of his truck. It was, it was wintertime, I think, and he collapsed on the ground. And uh, somebody saw this. Uh, they ran into one of our plants and announced, we've got somebody on the ground, probably needs CPR. It was one of our Embark uh, graduates who rushed out and uh, did CPR and allowed time for the uh, emergency medical uh, people to get there, get him to the hospital. It was unfortunate that that truck driver died later that night, but without that chance to, to survive that was provided by one of our Embark employees, you know, he would have been dead right there. That changed everything for, uh, you know, for our employees. They, they got to witness that. They got to see that uh, here's this man who was convicted of murder 30-plus years ago, but he was the one that, that went out and tried to, tried to rescue that stranger. So it's been a journey. It's, it's, been, it's been an interesting journey. I saw something on Embark's um, or Kindway's uh, website that they have. Um, they had reached a hundred graduates. Over that, it's yeah. over that now. Mm-hmm. But my my thought is is that you know you've got uh, eighteen over time, a mm-hmm. hundred or so graduates. It seems to me that's a small sampling of all of the people that are leaving prisons every day. Right going out into um, the society and, and trying to be, you know, functional, productive, survive. Um, if you don't cast a wider net, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, if, if it's really too big of a uphill battle to, uh, uh, you know, to accomplish anything. Um, Joe, uh, uh, do you have concerns when you have people that don't come through such a um, thorough program as Embark that they may create some type of problems for your company from a liability standpoint? No. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I appreciate, you know, I'm always sensitive as I'm having these conversations is that I've been at it for a while. And, and so um, if, if I have formed any cynicism, it's often towards um, the slice of our professional community that sees a great risk in in this community of folks, um, because I, you know, when I look at the data points I've 
you know, Hot Chicken Takeover alone is is probably had about a thousand employees over the course of our eight years, and considering for attrition, turnover, everything. Um, the vast majority of whom have been affected by an alternative resume. All of all of whom, as a population of our workforce, perform better and stronger um, than others. We're also, as an employer, um, outperforming our industry by about three x as it relates to employee turnover and retention. And so it is kind of, you know, it's easy to sit and think about this as a warm, fuzzy strategy um, to improve the, the merit of our community. But the reality is like our business is stronger because our people are stronger. And we have a community of folks that are, are hyper dialed into their future. Um, and, and we just make the cho- choice of, of creating some grace around their past. And, um, you know, one thing, if, if their employer is kind of dialing into this, the, the other thing to consider is I know a lot of non-fair chance or non-second chance employers um, that are, are vehement about why they wouldn't hire a whole bunch of these criminals that also have shrinkage on their P&L because they're actively accounting for people stealing from them. And so I always like to remind them that you are actively hiring the best of criminals, the ones that haven't been caught. Why, what, what wouldn't you stand to gain from hiring people that have a lot more to gain through positive employment experience? And so, um, you know, we, we've had problems through the years, like any other employer in our segment. But, you know, anecdotally, I believe those to be fewer in number. Um, you know, because of, uh, yeah, I, one anecdote I'd share, and, and it dials into a, a team member that um, w- actually did come through us through Embark uh, that was on our team in the early days. Um, my wife was still working in the business then. She was pregnant with our second daughter, uh, Maxine. And we separated somebody that day based on um, just, it, it was just not the right fit. And this team member was, a little erratic, was screaming at our manager that separated him. And it was back in the day when we didn't set clear ex- clear enough expectations and have good enough documentation for separating people. And and so my wife is kind of like, you got to get this guy out of here. He, you know, and so he and the manager at that point out on the loading dock outside of our restaurant. And they're, you know, it feels like it's escalating a little bit. My wife is a little concerned. And so my wife seven months pregnant, um, standing there is like, I'm just not sure what to do. And uh, from kind of, she hears this, Miss Lisa, Miss Lisa. And it's Daryl, one of our employees, who is behind, kind of behind a dumpster, standing there, kind of watching guard over all of this uh, with a broom stick in his hand. He's like, I've got this. Like, it's okay. We'll make sure everything's okay. And it's just consoling my wife to be basically be like, this is okay. And he's he's fiercely protecting and defending our business and is not doesn't want anything bad to happen. Is um, actually his alternative resume was as essentially as an enforcer uh, for an organization. And here he is. So he had the right skills for this. He absolutely <laughs> did. And, and he, he used to, when my wife was counting cash in our office, he would, he would mop the floor an extra long time in front of that office um, as uh, the floor was always spotless because he was just protecting our brand. We, we unfortunately lost Daryl. He, he lost uh, a battle to recovery. And, um, you know, I eulogized him at his funeral and we fed his family. 
And mm. it, it's just characteristic, though, of, of folks that m- may not have had all the opportunities to participate in a, a meaningful, productive community or familial situation or anything like that. And, and here he was, you know, fiercely protecting us. And that's just one of, you know, um, uh, one of many stories I could share, but um, not just who we hire, but also how. And I, I think, you know, Evan in, in, in Franklin's experience is that too. You, you realize the reason a lot of employers have problems in these entry-level segments is they're just bad employers and they don't treat people with humanity and care. And that's half of our strategy is just to be kind to people. And and part of that kindness is extending grace about appreciating that people could have a different future story for themselves and their past. Are there um, certain crimes, though, that are a non-starter that uh, you would not consider or maybe embark wouldn't even uh, present somebody? I could think of some type of sexual assault, uh, you know, pedophiles, something like that. I, I think you've named two that uh – would probably make us nervous, have made us nervous. Um, interesting that we would accept uh, convicted murderers, but not necessarily sexual predators. Um, and I think part of it is that, uh, you know, we have men and women in our, in our workforce, and I think we in particular want to protect uh, the women in our company. Well, um, I, I don't think Kindway does accept people with sexual offenses for whatever reason, so that just doesn't they, happen. They actually have had graduates, I believe, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so. maybe I'm wrong about that yeah. then, okay. Yeah. yeah. I wanna go back to uh, what you said, Joe, about you know some of your contemporaries who just refuse to acknowledge the idea that maybe hiring an ex-offender is a, a good idea. It, that just strikes me as, when you present your facts as to your success, that. That's just a mental block, as is most most things in life. We are more wed to an emotional reaction than facts and logic. I mean, here you are presenting success, but they still, it's as if it can't possibly happen for that other employer. That's exactly right. I think under these current kind of market conditions, too, where the labor market's tightened up even further, you know, what's interesting is a lot of those same kinds of employers are calling us. They're probably calling you too, Evan, to say, just tell me about this thing you do. And thinking about fair chance employment as some kind of silver bullet that's going to, to solve all their problems. And often the conversation I end up having with employers is like, well, let's, let's talk about your wage structure, your benefit structure, your scheduling structure. Um, how do you intend to support people that are making these huge transitions in their life? And ensure, like we're, we're here talking about folks that that have picked up that alternative resume, but it's also just indicative of you're hiring an entry level workforce. You're hiring people that have been up against adversity or volatility. As an employer, if you're not cognizant of providing relevant benefits of a supportive work environment, you are often going to be burning and churning through labor just because you're not patient enough with what the actual condition of our community is. And so I think a lot of what we end up educating people on is how do you just become a more informed employer to the, the demographic you're hiring? Because can, market conditions would suggest that you can't continue just cattle calling people through your workforce anymore. And it probably hasn't served you previously, but you had access to enough bodies that it didn't matter. 
And, and so we are just advocating for a more humane, dignified approach to engaging labor. And, and we're, we're proving three to one that we can do it at a better rate. And, um, you know, we're in an industry that it, it's, it's, it's evidence to cost about $5,000 every time you turn an entry-level employee, not a non-manager in soft and hard cost. And so if I can do that three times better than my peers, now we're talking about an actual competitive advantage and differentiator uh, as a company, not just uh, a good way to hire people. So it makes a huge difference. And, and they're calling, you know, people are, I, I think the market condition has elevated this discussion that we're all having in a bigger way. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I'm hopeful that once people start doing the work, they can't, you can't, can't really go backwards. What I hear both of these gentlemen saying, Jack, is there um, seems to be in their experience um, little risk and a lot of reward. I'm wondering how the insurance company sees it. Do you have to have any type of special insurance or bonding? Have you uh, had any discussions mm-hmm. with your carriers about employee liability uh, with these types of um, employees? That's a great question, and I have no idea what the answer is. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, uh, it, it hasn't uh, hit my radar, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it, we've not had any incidents with any of these people that we're talking about on our property. Um, quite the opposite. They've, they've just been Your employees, fabulous. I'm taking a guess here, probably don't have a lot of access to customers. Is that they come through this program? Uh, it's it's limited, yeah. I, I'd say it's limited, and probably don't have access to uh, the bank accounts and and things of that nature. And the reason I'm asking those questions is just thinking about insurance. You're going to be insured against employee theft, probably no matter what general policy right. would do that. But uh, as far as um, an employee hurting another employee or an employee hurting somebody that's not an employee member customer or something you know I'm, I'm real curious about the insurance aspect of that maybe joe has some experience with it yeah unfortunately i do um and so you know i i think there's there's kind of two disciplines here when it it relates to kind of risk mitigation from an insurance perspective one is um definitely you know we we're top to bottom an integrated company and so uh, we have people on our corporate staff that have alternative resumes as well as on our dish tanks in the restaurants. And so when you start to look at like director and officer type insurance, uh, it is applicable um, that that at this point the insurance agency hasn't hasn't quite caught up. Um, as it relates to we have we have had no impact as it relates to kind of our general staffing model and restaurant staffing model. Um, but I know of many, many peers, particularly those that are doing in-home care and health care that have, have, have seen this issue elevate. And um, I will say just my, you know, my two cents on it is I think we're in a transitional period where you have large employers, large legislative efforts that are, that are pushing towards kind of clean slate. You know, you did your time. You served, you met all your um, post-incarceration requirements. At some point, when do we stop penalizing people for um, the mistake they made at some point? And uh, really what we've done is we, we have criminalized 
um, folks for a lifetime uh, by preventing them from opportunity. And so I, I think what we'll see here in the next few years is that action finally catch up to the actuaries at, and underwriters. Um, but it is it is an unfortunate kind of space right now. And the, the people that are doing it best in those spaces are leaning in towards bonding programs, additional credentialing programs that would say um, there's a, a layer of protection associated with a specific individual versus uh, the whole category. Now, unlike Evan, I'm willing to bet, Joe, that some of your people do have or a lot of your people do have customer contact and may and probably oh. have contact with the with the cash register as well. Yes, uh, yeah, we're we're fully integrated. So um, we are, you know, we hire a hundred percent of our team, um, whether it's a COO or a new crew member, to do dishes, just part of our culture, and then everybody gets cross trained from there. And um, so, yeah, uh, register access, cash access, credit card, customer access. Um, all, all of which we have reported fewer, fewer incidences of theft or anything than any of my peers that are non-fair chance employers. You know, the thing, I'm, the thing I get out of this, Gonzo, is that the people who are open to this idea of hiring ex-offenders, even before they get to that decision, are probably employers who are a little more hip on the average to how they treat their troops. I mean, that's what I think is going on. You've got to have just a better attitude in terms of retention and support and just treating people well. At least that's what I'm guessing, or that, not guessing, but that's what I take out of all this. Well, I, I think Joe would qualify as being hip, but I, I, I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think if you don't have a culture that values, really values people, not just words on a page like, you know, our people are our greatest asset. Yeah, everybody can write that. But uh, does it show in your culture? Do people feel like they're part of a community? Do they feel loved, valued, appreciated? I think um, we hope that people who come into our, our place of work generally feel that. and. They like coming to work. They like being a part of, um, you know, the work that we do for customers. Well, I know that Sam, the gent who I navigated, he was so concerned, Gonzo, about getting to work, right? Because he's got to be there at like 10 o'clock at night or so. He bought a second car. He goes, Jack, if my car breaks down, I want to make sure I can get to work on time. I said, hey, Sam, I mean, there's this thing called Uber, right? He didn't want to hear about it. He wanted his own car. He's going to get there on time. <laughs> we know from statistics that um, a lot of um, minorities, um, mostly black uh, people, have a higher incident of incarceration. Do you find then that people in the program that come to work for you are mostly minorities, a majority of minorities, or is there some breakdown that uh, either of your companies try to maintain of uh, who you hire? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's pretty well evidence that the criminal justice system skews towards um, uh, in disproportionately incarcerating uh, our black and brown community members. Um, and, uh, our, you know, our the statistics in our workforce probably mirror that uh, when, a, when it relates to our, our kind of fair chance candidates and, and community of our, our team. Um, but... 
you know, I think for us, it also acknowledges just a huge opportunity when we, we think about this broader discussion around diversity, equity, and inclusion. When, if you're an employer looking for meaningful ways to make a dent in um, racial inequity, um, choosing to be a fair chance employer also allows you kind of the privilege of, of, of tapping into an audience of people that, that are disproportionately um, uh, black and brown community members. And so for us, as we, we look at building a, a workforce that resembles our community, um, from top to bottom, uh, we have a lot of incredibly high-performing team members that um, also allow us to to really hit kind of the goals and marks we're setting for ourselves around DEI initiatives. Um, and so I, I think it it's a bit of a layup that that works pretty well to um, achieve a lot of goals we have as a community-based business. Um, and one one thing I'd note: Hot Chicken Takeover is a, a very for-profit company. Um, we are not a, a, a charitable or nonprofit organization. And so we are beholden to all of the same kind of legal principles around discrimination, equal em- employment opportunities, and have generally found that our the diversity of our workforce is a lot higher than our peers, including the upward mobility of our v- diverse team members, um, which I, I think is something we're really proud of and, and, and continue to set the standard higher and higher for ourselves internally. You find the same thing, Evan, is your um, diversity in your workforce enhanced by the program? I think uh, I might think of diversity a little bit differently in this case. Um, we do see you know, diversity in, in race and gender, um, but uh, diversity in experience uh, uh, is certainly enhanced uh, with hiring ex-offenders. Um, you know, I, some of these people made awful decisions, awful mistakes as 17, 18, 19-year-old kids. And uh, so 30 years later, they're, they're much different in a lot of ways. Um, and the opportunity that we have to bring in the experience of making a bad decision, acknowledging that bad decision, not being a victim, but being grateful for the second chance uh, is a super enhancement to our culture. Yeah, the, often the only, not often, but almost all the time, the only difference between the insiders and the outsiders is 10 minutes of bad thinking. Yeah, I, I could have easily been one of those insiders with, with and, some decisions I made in my life. Well, I think we all could, and the idea is that we don't want to be branded with that for the rest of our lives, that doesn't signify who we are. And right. and when folks like you, like uh, you and Evan, excuse me, when Evan and Joe hire these folks, they're making that clear. They're walking their talk that your crimes don't define your life. I think that second chance has always been a part of the American culture. I hope that mm-hmm. it's not going away. That I hope that society isn't uh, getting to the point where they're less tolerant of mistakes. But mm-hmm. um, I certainly appreciate the work that both of you do in your companies, and it's an example to all companies to follow. Um, we thank you for your time today. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was a good discussion. We'll be back in a few weeks with another important legal or social justice issue, and we hope you'll join us 
so that it's not just us, but all of us seeking justice. Thanks to WOSU and our sound engineer, Eric. Until the next time, so long.